Hello and welcome to the Elemental Entrepreneurship Podcast. The elements are a metaphor, a simple organizational system to help us understand business and ourselves as business owners. And they are the components of nature, the roots of magic, and the building blocks of life. We all have some aspects of life and business where we thrive and others that are more challenging. By looking at these things elementally, we remove shame and judgment and can discern which elements would help us bring ourselves into balance. Earth, root chakra, Capricorn, Taurus, Virgo. Earth rules the parts of business that keep us safe and secure as we do our soul work. Sustainability, finances, contracts, systems, our core values, and clarity about exactly what our medicine is and how we fit into the ecosystem are governed by Earth element. Air, heart and third eye chakra, Gemini, Libra, Aquarius. Air rules our big vision, our ultimate picture of success. It's where we connect our medicine to a mission and decide what kind of impact we want to create during our time on this planet. Water, sacral chakra, cancer, Scorpio, Pisces. This is the realm of our emotions and business is emotional. How we feel about people, ourselves, visibility, uncertainty, how we handle stress and disappointment, all of this and more affects how you navigate your business. Water element is where we learn to resource ourselves and expand our capacity to hold the big feelings that come with doing our work in the world. Fire, solar plexus chakra, Aries, Leo, Sagittarius. Fire is where we take our gifts, our uniqueness, and our creations and we blaze them out into the world. All things selling, marketing, and the day-to-day actions of running our business are ruled by fire. Too much fire and we burn out. Not enough, and our business never makes it off the ground. And spirit, crown chakra. Every good gardener knows the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. Spirit rules the faith required to keep tending your business long before you've seen a single sprout of evidence that it's growing. No matter what you believe in, spirit element is what you travel through after you leap and before you land. Life thrives when all of the elements are in balance. So do you, and so will your business. To find out your dominant element, take our quiz at intuitiveedgecoaching.com slash quiz. Now let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Elemental Entrepreneurship Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah. I'm so happy that you're here with us today. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Chris Lee, and before we get into this conversation, I just want to give y'all a heads up that there is a mention of uh, unaliving in this episode, and so if that is something that you don't want to hear or you cannot deal with today, uh, then you may want to skip this one, and i just like to give that heads up before we get into some deeper, heavier topics. It's a brief mention kind of up top as Dr. Chris is sharing some of the story of some of the members of his family. So if that's not something that you're prepared to hear today, maybe sit this one out, but that's my little disclaimer for today. 
As always, a couple of quick announcements before we get into the show. Announcement number one is that I have a few spots open right now for one-on-one coaching for 2024 still available. Uh, So if you have been considering working together and you are looking at your list of 2024 goals and intentions and you know that it would be easier for you to reach them if you had support, if you had mentorship, if you had guidance, if you had a cheerleader in your corner, if you had someone who is equipped with strategies and techniques to help you blast through places that you would usually end up getting stuck if you were on your own, I would love to help you. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes for you to book a call if you're interested in working together one-on-one in 2024. My next announcement is for those of you who have not started a business yet, but you've been thinking about it. If you are determined to make 2024 the year that you go all in and start your heart-centered business, my first free live event of the year is coming up this week on January 18th. It's called Monetize Your Magic and it is a free three-day training workshop. We're going to work together to help get you started on your business. One of the things that I have experienced in working with creative people is that a lot of us are talented at a lot of things. We have a lot of things we're good at, a lot of different things we do, and a lot of different things that we could turn into a business. Sometimes we're side hustling or gigging in a lot of different areas. And when we're going to start a business, figuring out how to narrow down exactly what it is our business is going to be can be the hardest part and the place where we get stuck. So if you feel like you have a lot of ideas, but it's been hard for you to really figure out what your business is going to be, that's where we're going to start. It is ground zero, day one, really help you figure out exactly what shape your business is going to take. And we build from there over three days. It's going to be very, very powerful and it's absolutely free. The link to join is in the show notes. So if you're interested in that, I would love to see you there. All right, without further ado, let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to the Elemental Entrepreneurship Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I am very, what, say it back, I'm excited because today on the podcast, I have Dr. Chris Lee. We have a certified motherfucking smartass in the building because I'm going to read you what he wrote. I send out a little form so that I have everybody's intro ready to go. And under, how would you- How would you like to be credited? Dr. Chris says he is a certified but expired forklift driver and member of the Unicorn Protection Agency. Uh, But I also know that he is so much more than that. So you're now on the spot to have to give your own intro about who you are, what you do, and your credentials because I can't read them. (laughs) That's fair. Congratulations, you played yourself. Who are you and what do you you. do? Yes, the karmic circle, which, by the way, I heard the craziest thing about karmic death the other day that made the most sense to me of like the karmic will uh, repays your debt or the credit that you owe it in time. So if you do something bad, the overthinking that your nervous system is turned on is karmic debt exchanging the value of your karma for time. So when you do right things, you don't overthink about it. But when you do wrong things, karma takes back its value through time. It's a whole conversation. Anyways. uh, Wait, 
I think the whole topic of today's podcast episode just changed because my mind is exploding. No, it's fine. You'll be fine. It's great. Um, Also, I I love to people with ADHD walk into a podcast studio. Y'all, this is going to be a ride. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's like, we've been doing this. I've been up since like, who even knows what time. But anyways, I am Chris. Uh, I run a consulting firm, a coaching agency. I got a media company. We do this, we do that. But the basic premise of everything I do is you got three pounds of meatloaf between your ears that is running everything in your life. It is like the quantum generator of this reality if we want to go down that rabbit hole. And it doesn't come with a blueprint and by default just wakes up and says, how can I make your soul just completely overwhelmed with opportunities to learn and experience through trauma. It doesn't wake up and say, oh my gosh, chocolate chip cookies and rainbows. It goes like, remember all that bad stuff that happened to you? For sure, it's going to happen again. So I've been doing study and literature and research for the past like seven or eight years now um, into stress and the nervous system and the brain and self-regulation and all of those different things. Um, I teach that at corporate levels and Fortune 500s and startup companies. I coach individuals. We got a social media channel doing social media stuff. Um, and all the live long day. Um, I do a lot of this to try to make the world a better place through changing the micro so that the macro can experience a new perspective. Ugh, we love to hear it. What are you a doctor of besides forklifts? Besides forklift certification. So this is where things get really fun and interesting. So my journey, I'm not like supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be running this practice. So um, I started off in chiropractic, and then once I finished up chiropractic, I went and got additional um, trainings and continuing education in neuroscience for about four years afterwards. Um, but inside of completing that doctorate, I quickly realized, because I was a single parent during that time, um, I don't want to run a practice. I don't want a nine to five. I want to do something that's more meaningful and more impactful. So I actually started my consulting agency in the midst of finalizing that doctorate in the midst of continuing education and functional neurology and everything else that went along with that. My undergrad was biochemistry, biology, and environmental science. And then I did chiropractic and then I did functional neurology, medical neuroscience. And then I did neuropsychology and I've done some computer learning with some MIT programs. Um, and I'm going to probably go back maybe and do a PhD in the near future, but um, most of it's just been implementation and strategy ever since. Wow. So clearly someone who does not enjoy school. (laughs) This is the crazy thing. I am such a bad student, but I was only a bad student in the context of like what society told me like was achievement. So when I got out of school, I realized like how, and I don't mean this in, in any discredited way, how smart I was in application, but how dumb I was in like rote memory recall. So mm-hmm. like on a test, I'm not a great student, but when it comes to practicality, function and utility, I was like, oh my gosh, like y'all might be able to like memorize the entire like anatomical structure of like the intravenous system, but I know how to describe and share. And then I can pull up a graph on Google to show my patients all of these different things. So when it came into like our residency portion, I was crushing numbers down at the clinic because I could relate to people and I could explain things in like normal terms and like relatability and vulnerability. Who would have thought go so far nowadays in a world that's just doing world things. Right. Yeah. Being able to memorize a bunch of stuff and having no bedside manner isn't actually the job when you get out of school. Who would have thought? Yeah. Who would have, who would have thought? Before we go farther into the world doing world things, which is what we said we were going to talk about today, uh, the girls will want to know, 
uh, your astrological sun, moon, and rising, if you know it, and your human design type and authority, if you know it. No idea. August. I was in August in the 90s, the early 90s. That's basically it. I'm a Leo. That's that's about the goodness that we get. That makes Uh, sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you might know because right before we hopped on here, you said you had a lot of fire in your chart. And I was like, oh, he knows his chart. Love that. But it was just the (laughs) Leo-ness. It's yeah. You say things really confident based on like somebody told me a long time. Oh, you got a lot of fire in your chart and like little sparks of inspiration come back when you need them. Love that. Um, Well, if you're interested after this, I'll pull your chart for you. So, you know, if you want to (laughs) know. So. I want to, before we even get into the world doing world things, I was uh, deep stalking your profile today in advance of this conversation. I've been following you for a while and, you know, I heart and share and love your work and what you're doing online. And one of the things I love about what you're doing is the very relatable and straightforward way that you break down things about the nervous system and neuroscience and how the brain works, especially related to habit change and goal setting and like getting things done in the world. And, uh, as a coach and somebody who's, I primarily work with the people who are going to be listening to this. They're going to be people very familiar with chiropractic, a lot of artists, a lot of creatives, a lot of healers and helpers, dance movement, therapists, yoga practitioners, um, movement teachers of all stripes, uh, tarot readers, spiritual folks that tends to be who's, who's in our world. And so these conversations all the time about, how we're navigating ourselves and how we are navigating being people who are trying to do our like capital S capital W soul work in the world when it feels so high stakes. And, uh, when everything inside you is trying to talk you out of doing the things you most want to do, it's pretty much what we're talking about all the time. And you break those things down in such a a clear and friendly and relatable and fast and accessible way, which is like such a, such a skill set. So I just really appreciate your work, but I had not like gone to your page and done a deep dive. And what I really want to talk about is the fact that 261,000 people follow you and you follow four. You're like Beyonce. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. So this, And this is like the straight honesty of this. So um, when I first started like making the choice and I'm like, I'm going to make social media content and I'm going to go do all these things. I had such gross imposter syndrome that I basically like whitewashed everyone that I was following and everyone else because I was so embarrassed because I was like, who's this guy that wants to go out and go do some of these things? So I stopped following everyone in like 2017, I think. Cause like, I didn't want any negative feedback because like the first video that I ever posted on Facebook, I had so much like, like high school people were all like, Oh my gosh, like you're going to be that guy. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be that guy because you don't know the shit that I went through. If your dad killed himself, you would probably be making content just with the hope that some dad out there gets information that can save his life too. So you, sir, can take your feedback, fold it up in a very tight little note, and then shove it. Anyway, it doesn't matter where you shove it. So all of <laughs> Anywhere you'd guys, like. We're not going to yuck your yuck. Shove what you like where you like. Free will, sweetheart. Get after it. So <laughs> all those things started to pop up. And then what I started to realize is social media was such a big distraction tool for me that I was going to continue to like only use it for an education platform. 
And it wasn't like a matter of like, oh, is it going to get traction or is it not? I was just sharing because I had something on my heart that I wanted to get out there. So I would post and then I would close it down. And that was basically it. And then I went back to like, I was never a reader, but I just started ingesting books like crazy. And that's how I chose to consume content. I'd find a singular topic. I would go to Goodwill because that was the only books that I could possibly afford. And I would go find all the books in that subject. And on quarter dollar day, me and like Donna down there had an agreement that if I gave her like three bucks, I could like walk out of there with as many books as I could carry, which was like never a ton. But that's where like I got so much of this implementation information. So I had the science and I could combine science with reality and kind of make some of these strategies. But as time went by and the way that I use social media now is the people that I follow are creators that are making an impact that is going to be the next phase of where I go. There are people that are reaching, you know, um, not only like a few hundred thousand people, but a couple million. And that's where I want to be at. So I look at them, I learn from them, and then I get out of Dodge. So I don't follow anybody else. I only used to follow my grandma and that was it. And then like, she was getting like just more and more followers. And then she was like, we got to stop doing it. I was like, okay, grandma. So I followed zero people for a really long time. And then I only followed one person. And then I would get rid of that person. I follow a new person, learn from them. Uh, it's a learning platform for me. So it's been the same way. And those four people, like once I feel like they no longer support whatever season I'm in, with all the love in my heart, I will stop following them and I'll find somebody else. I think that is the coolest thing ever. Beyonce uh, follows two or two million people follow her and she follows no people. And I always think that that's the coolest. And I, I think I played the social media game when I first got on my coaching page and I, you know, did the thing where if people follow me, I follow them back. And now I have like, I'm following 2000 people or something. And I don't know who most of them are. And like half of them are bots. And, um, I will try to go through frequently and just do mass unfollows, but then Instagram gets mad at you. I don't know if you know that they don't like it when you mass unfollow people, they think that something's wrong with your account. So heads up out there, if you're doing mass unfollows, you can only follow like 200 people before your account gets in trouble. So I would like set, I would count and I would do like 150 people every other day and just try to clear people off my feed. And also, yeah, I don't follow right now. I don't follow any other people in the coaching industry. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I I think that that's smart. Like if, if you're a coach or a small business owner and you know nothing about sales, follow the best salespeople ever. That's, that's all they do. That's all they post about is sales, learn from it, strategize it, use it, build it, and then follow somebody else that can help you with systems or strategies or operations or admin stuff. Um, like it's, it can either be a distraction or it can be a tool. And I don't think that there's a middle ground. I love it. So a bunch of things have already happened and I'm trying to decide where I want to go in. Um, I guess we're going to go into some superhero origin story because you dropped that you sadly lost your father uh, to suicide. Was that in 2017? That was in 2016. 2016. And that is the canon event that sent you in the direction that you're headed in now? Yeah, that, that was definitely like the launch of it. So Within within like six months, I got hit by a car and like just shattered my body. I was riding a bike, lost my dad to suicide unexpectedly. Like my brother and I were supposed to have like a barbecue with him a couple of weeks later. And then suddenly I was going to be a dad all at like 23. So my daughter was born in 2017 and 
I was still like two and a half, three years away from graduating and having a job. And I was flat broke, broken. Like my body was broken. Like my soul was just like, what's the fucking point? And I just didn't know what to do. So I did what you're supposed to do, the therapy. And I'm going to like work on my mindset and all this stuff. And it just, none of it worked at all. Um, and it's not to say that, it, you know, it can't work, but for me, it just, I was so stressed out, so dysregulated that all of the material that I was ingesting, I just didn't have the areas of my brain turned on that could learn and implement and strategize and feel hope. So what I started to do, was just the nonsense of self-regulation, right? So like I ditched my therapist, I stopped like reading the mindset stuff. And all I did was started to consume neurology. That was basically it. I want to know how the brain works. This area of the brain's turned on and you experience that. This area of the brain's turned off and you experience this. Default mode network turns on rumination, frontal cortex and ACC turns on this. And just going back and forth. And it's like, okay, got a general understanding of like neuroscience. And then I started to go deeper of like, all right, how do you turn these areas on? How do you turn these areas off? What stimulation effects do this versus that? What does society do to this or that? What does your social circles do to all this? And they all had this massive impact on the brain. So once I started to understand that, I was like, okay, so I have executive dysfunction from all this trauma, right? Like my frontal cortex was like cobwebs. And if you don't know, your frontal cortex is where like the cool shit starts to happen. It's where we have long-term thinking, strategy, planning, higher emotions, compassion, empathy, all of those things are available in the frontal cortex. And areas turned off due to trauma and like chronic stress then what you're going to experience is a constant state of reactivity, which was me. I woke up in a state of like low level anxiety. And as the day went on and I got more stimulation, more anxiety started to build up until finally I would like blow a fuse around like 5 PM and I would just be depressed. And my system was like, yo, you can't do this. Why try? It's going to be the same shit, different day. Why don't you just fold on down, pretend to go study. And I was like, okay, well, that's an interesting concept. So all I started to do was work on neurofeedback and using like a very simple device, like is my frontal cortex working? And that changed my life in a matter of weeks. So every single day I'd sit down, neurofeedback, I would breathe, I would do these strategies. I started to like move my body in different ways. And suddenly I was like, I am clinically less depressed. Frontal cortex is more online and I feel way better. And I didn't talk about my emotions at all. I wasn't doing anything crazy. I didn't flip my diet upside down. I didn't do ayahuasca down in Peru. I was doing breathing strategies mixed with neurofeedback to just produce these crazy results. And then as time and time went by, I started to get motivation, which if you've ever experienced depression, the moment that you feel motivation, you're like, holy shit, am I on drugs? I want to eat. I want to do something with my life. And I was like, this is nuts. Like, I, and I can't be the only one that's experiencing this. And that's what sent me down the rabbit hole of doing continuing education after school. And even in school, I started to direct all of my studies towards neuroscience in the brain to see like, what is really going on inside of this? Like what creates dysregulation? And for me, it broke down into like four categories. You got physical, mental, emotional, social, and then there's like purpose and faith, I think is probably a bonus fifth one. Um, and if you don't have the foundation, then you can't go up those areas either. So, so many people like want to do purpose and clarity and vision work when they don't have a good sleep cycle, they don't have good nutrition, they don't have good, and it's the library of Alexandria and they're just building on sand. And these are the people that are always in this like yo-yo up and down, they build up, but then it sinks down. So they have to build back up and then it sinks back down and just these constant loops over and over again. But 
doing biofeedback and some of these other things that I'm doing now, you can't lie to numbers. So it's like, did you do it? Yes or no. And is it working? Yes or no. And you can look at trends, you can look at patterns and you can start to do these systems and strategies in a way that's like super beneficial for discipline, focus, moving the business, better conversations, better relationships, more patience, empathy, like all the things that for me, I wanted to be for myself and for my daughter and then start to help out people um, in my business. Oh my gosh. Okay. I have two, I have a bazillion thoughts, but I took a couple of notes of like things I wanted to put a pin in. What I'm going to work backwards. So the library of Alexandria, <laughs> yo-yo situation, trying to focus on vision and purpose and then not being able to. Something that comes up for me when I think about that and of course, you know, if you're in coaching, you see this with people all the time. They come in and in their consultation call, they're like, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. You catch them on a good day. They're super motivated. They're excited. They're like, their representative came to the intake call. They're like, I really want to do all of these things. And then you get in and start working with them and you start to see the patterns that emerge as they start moving toward their goal, their vision, their desire. And one of the things that I think is really so important to name is that we do live in this very bizarre upside down around what the brain is and what the body is. And like, we're all raised with this, like mind over matter, use your head. Like, you know, you can, you can think your way out of any problem and like, just put your mind yes. to it. Right. Like none of it is true. Um, but those, like, the, the difficulty of accepting that you're just a little chemistry set, like, you're, like, a complicated houseplant, and that, like, you actually do have to mammal, like, you do have to, like, eat and sleep and go outside in the sun, and, like, that, that, that those things are having such a profound impact on your brain's ability to brain. And I think so many people are like, like not only resistant to that, but almost insulted by it. They're like, I should just be able to stay up all night and like drink Red Bull and work all night and get two hours of sleep and eat shitty food and not take care of myself and be stressed out all the time and still be able to go after my goals. I don't know why it's not working. What's wrong with me? And you absolutely can. Like I, the, the people that I work with are like one of like the subsects of it is like, Adderall, Red Bull, black coffee, eat at 9 p.m., five, maybe six hours of sleep, rinse and repeat. And they're like, there's nothing wrong with me. Like, I could do this forever. And I go, that is awesome. I would love for you to do this forever. But when you turn 50 and you have no testosterone, you have like decreased ability to like do anything productive, right? Your bone mineral density is going down, which is going to cascade into your hormones. You're going to have bald spots. And you start to get like a lot of these like idiopathic, like, I don't know where this autoimmune condition came from. You're going to come back and we're going to have this conversation and say like, we should have done something a little bit more sustainable because like, and I, I say this with the utmost respect, some people need the addition of like the Adderall in their life. And like, they might need some of those other things. I think so many of these things, unless you have congenital deficiencies and like always talk to your primary care doctor, they should be seasonal. Right. So like if you need some of those things to like get you out of a hole, like antidepressants, like so many people out there are like antidepressants are like 
the Antichrist, they're just the worst thing ever. I'm like, then you don't understand mental health at all, right? You don't get it because that would have saved my dad's life. That would have saved so many of these people's lives. The problem is antidepressants take six months to build up into the system. And that's just that we don't have six months with people that are like borderline suicidal and things like that. So when it comes down to like a lot of those evaluations and people saying like all of those different things, it's like, you just might not understand the way that you think you understand. And I'm saying that with just like the utmost compassion as well, that there is such a high level of change that you can inspire in people to give them hope. But like the whole mind over matter conversation as well, like mind over matter used to work when everything was a blue collar six figure job. You could actually strategize your way into doing something that was linear. But now that we have the internet and nothing is linear, everything is very much the way that reality was set up to be, non-dimensional, multi-dimensional, non-linear, transient beings, you have to be in a constant state of evolution. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, that sounds exhausting. That's what your nervous system is designed to do anyways, right? So like the mind over matter definitely doesn't work anymore, right? You can't just think your way into it because by the way, the default mode network in your brain in and of itself is very much designed to overthink about the problem and never give you a solution. That's what that thing is designed to do. It's like, oh, you got this problem. I'm going to show you every single way that this problem can manifest in your life and never give you a way out of this. And also all the ways it could get worse. (laughs) Correct. And that's the negativity bias. The more you think about it, the more that elephant in the room takes up the air, takes up the air, takes up the room. And then you start to get this like paranoia, anxiety. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is so bad. I can never get out of it. And when you get to that point of like hopelessness, your nervous system goes, yes, we got this guy locked in, loaded, frozen, status quo. He's never going to change. Just keep freaking him out. And it's like, congratulations, I kept you alive. You should be grateful that I kept you alive. But that's just the meat suit. The soul inside the meat suit is like, yo, fuck this. I got shit to go do. I got humanity to go serve. I want to be my highest self. And it's knocking at the prison inside to be set free. And yet we never do the hard things to let that version of us out. Yeah. And I, you know, I have to do the thing that I do around here uh, because we're always going to look at this elementally and my, my framework of everything is everything, right? So we also, just to put this in our context of living this mind over matter, like you should be able to override the body, um, whether or not things are sustainable, uh, we also are deeply enculturated from the time we're born into capitalism and into white supremacist capitalism and the framework that says, like the way that we treat our bodies is the same way that we're treating the planet, right? Our relationship to earth is inherently extractive. And that is also our relationship to our bodies and to labor. And the question is always like, how can I put the minimum amount in to get the maximum amount out? And that is how we're trained to treat our bodies. Like what's the minimum amount of sleep, food, care, affection, support I can give myself. And it's always transactional and it's always a negotiation when we're in that framework of like, What's the least I can give myself to get the maximum amount of quote unquote productivity and output? And that's how I monitor or measure like my success as a human being. And uh, that is inherently just like being extractive is the opposite of being sustainable. It doesn't work. It is not permaculture. It is not leave no trace. It's not how can I have not only the least impact on the planet, but 
uh, like leave things better than I found it. And we can relate to ourselves that way. We can relate to our actual planet that way. We can relate to labor that way. Like we are trained into a world that says it's totally normal to try to bribe yourself essentially to get the maximum amount of productivity that you can turn into dollars out of yourself for the least amount of care. And uh, it's not a coincidence that we are, as a society, like more stressed and depressed than we've ever been, because that shit does not work. No, I, I could not agree anymore. And it's this, this conversation, a lot of the times breaks down to like efficacy and doing the right thing, right? So like, so many people are doing well-intentioned wrong things, right? So if you start to look at things with like an efficacious mindset and saying like, okay, it's not about efficiency, it's about rightness, right? Like how right are the actions that I'm taking? So if you're going to get zero hours of sleep and you're going to stay up all night, are you reading books? Are you doing something productive with your time? Is it the right thing for this season of your life? Most of those answers are absolutely not. It's dissociative. It's disconnective. It's like playing back into just keeping you slow, sick, stupid, and stressed right? And that's the narrative. Because when you're in that state, you consume, you don't create, right? So like that entropy versus like creative, organized versus chaos, like we are the only species on the face of this planet that has the opportunity to not only take nature and let nature do its thing, but we can adapt, modify and enhance nature in a positive way, right? We can cultivate a landscape that we can create more beneficial nature because we are a part of nature doing it in and on itself. And then the conversation typically at this point pops up and says, well, why don't other creatures go out and go do that? They do that in micro intervals. We have the ability to take the entire planet though and really scape it to its benefit. Because if we give back to the planet in those ways, it's going to give back to us in ways that are just incomprehensible and starting to look at the cycles and starting to look at the understanding of like, how the cosmos play with us and like it's it's all of this evolutionary psychology and like planetology and evolutionary just look at the trends and being able to support them so that we can take a more practical approach as a species however it'll never work and this is where we break down to like all right practicality if 80% of the people in the United States say that they are slow sick and stressed which is the current data 80% of us are stressed then how do you break them out of that cycle? And what is the critical mass required to actually make sustainable change? And is it something that we can actually do or do we need a different approach? Do we go from top down, bottom up, middle us part? And those are some of the hard questions that like computer learning and machine learning are really like taking a deeper look at. And that's the really cool science that I'm like, oh, it's super interesting. All these different approaches of like, how do we fix humanity? Um, and it's a fun conversation. Hey entrepreneur, I don't care what stage of business you're in, if you're doing it alone, you're doing it wrong. We need people. We need people in our corner. We need outside eyes. We need someone to go to. We need that in case of emergency break glass person that we can call when we're stuck or frustrated or overwhelmed, when we aren't sure what move to make, or when we just want to celebrate our accomplishments. We need the right people on our team. No one who has ever built a big, successful business does it alone. You should not be trying to do it all alone. 
You need people in your corner because owning and running a business might be one of the hardest things you ever do. And most people in your life simply won't be able to relate or guide you if they've never done what you're trying to do. Ideally, I'd like to see you in one-on-one coaching so that I can really be a partner to you behind the scenes in the day-to-day of your business and walk alongside you through every season, every stage, even into the nitty-gritty details. But if you're not ready for that, at the very least, I want you to get into the Elemental Entrepreneurship Coven. Elemental Entrepreneurship Coven is the number one resource you need for success as a heart-centered creative entrepreneur. There is truly nothing else like it on the market. It's a hybrid of courses, group coaching, a mastermind, and a brilliant supportive community all in one. Joining the Coven will connect you to teaching and tools designed to guide you through every single step of building and scaling your business to six figures. No more questioning what to do all by yourself. No more buying random one-off courses on different topics and trying to patchwork it all together. Every single topic you need is covered. We're talking from legal structure to contracts to branding to marketing to product development, launching, you name it, it's in here. Can you imagine never having to buy another course again because you've already got it all under one roof and if you need something, you can just search it and find it? That alone is worth the investment. But you also get access to bi-weekly, high-impact, live group coaching sessions with me, ongoing workshops with guest experts, and our private Facebook group so that you can stop doing business alone. And you should. An Elemental Entrepreneurship Coven is one amazing way that you can do that. Go to intuitiveedgecoaching.com slash coven, C-O-V-E-N, to join today. And as a special thank you for being a listener to the pod, simply enter the code podcast on any checkout page for 11% off your first three months of membership at any level. That's intuitiveedgecoaching.com slash coven and enter the code podcast at checkout. I can't wait to help you grow your business so that you can make a bigger impact, help more people, share your gifts with a larger audience, and make the money you deserve to be making for your gifts, skills, and talents. But most of all, I want to see you so confident and so self-assured that you are just as talented at running a business as you are at the thing you and that is within reach when you join the coven. So I can't wait to see you inside. Let's get back to the show. It is a fun conversation. And I think that like people like you and I uh, clearly are taking a from the middle elbow to elbow approach. Like if I can help a hundred people, a thousand people, a million people, if I can help a certain number of people in my immediate vicinity and start to help them resource their nervous system, start to help them have more capacity for creating, for critical thinking, for um, doing the work that they want to do in the world, for living their sole purpose, for, you know, for creating art, for sharing beauty, for helping, like the more that we can do that on an elbow to elbow level, right? Like, I think for a lot of us, we're like, I don't feel qualified to tackle it like on a governmental level. And I'm not a fighter, so I would be no good in a violent revolution. Uh, I will just cry, but I can (laughs) work on helping a hundred people, a thousand people, 2000 people, 10,000 people, right? Like start to, first of all, just recognize. And I think this like taps into the other thing I took a note on. 
recognize and understand that all of a lot of what we're taught about how we operate is a lie and is inherently shame inducing and is designed to make us feel trapped. So like when you were talking about when you're traumatized, your frontal cortex is not available. When we're in a system that says mind over matter, stiff upper lip, keep calm and carry on, like all of those things, what that ends up resulting in and what I see most of all is people who are just constantly shaming themselves for not being able to push through and do things when you're like, no, you physiologically can't. Like there's not a push through right now. That part of your brain's not available. And so even just starting to help people understand the truth of how you function so that you can manage yourself better is hugely important work to do in the world right now. Yeah. Somebody asked me a really interesting question and it, it a really interesting piece of research came across my, uh, my desk as well is like, if you had to escape the matrix, how would you do it? And one of those questions is like, well, it has its own rules, right? So you just have to break the rules and create your own. And it's like, well, how, how do you do that? Right? Like if, if society is imparting these like invisible rules to us, how do you break those rules? So in psychology, there's something called the Stroop test. And we've all kind of seen it. And it's a list of words that are like the color. It's, it's the word red, but it's green. And then it's the word blue, but it's yellow. And there's a whole list of those. And phase one, when you go down this list is basically like, okay, just read the word, right? And when you do that, you've given that person a set of rules to adhere to, right? And this is turning on what we think it's turning on is an area of the brain called the insula. Now, the second time they go through that list, we say, we want you to just tell me what the color of the word is. So we've completely shattered that first rule, and we've completely shown that people have the adaptability to evolve into new rules. So the first couple words, they're slow, but the brain has the ability to adapt quickly to those new rules. So even when you're stressed and critical, you have the ability to model new understanding, to create new alignment, to create new actions. Mood follows action, and if all of your power is inside your emotions to put yourself into motion, take that energy, reclaim it, call it in, and then reframe the rules that you've been operating from, ask if it's working, and then create your own set of rules because your brain has the ability to do that, and then operate by those rules, and then reevaluate if that's driving your success as well. Mm, I love that. So... I would love to tap on if somebody is noticing that they are in a place where either as the result of recent like capital T trauma or as the result of compounding complex trauma, uh, such as just living right now in the United States, especially as a person in a marginalized identity, uh, how would we start to help someone understand why they may feel like their behavior is not aligning with what they think they want, right? They're, they have a goal, they have something they want to do, and day after day they're finding they can't quote-unquote make themselves do it. How do we help them start understanding what's going on for them? So then when the nervous system gets demotivated, right, and it doesn't feel like doing something, don't feel like going to the gym, you don't feel like doing the hard thing when the easy thing is available, it breaks down to two things. One, too much distraction eradicates focus, eradicates willpower. So you're completely dissociated. And that is the wrong area of the brain you want turned on to do the hard thing when the easy thing is available. The second thing is that when you're trying to form new habit loops, you have to understand that there is trigger, behavior, 
reward system. And if you never give yourself that reward system, you can just hustle and grind, trigger behavior, trigger behavior, trigger behavior. But if you never give that intrinsic sense of reward, your nervous system goes, okay, we're going to get it one of these days. Okay, we're going to get it one of these days. Okay, we're going to get it one of these days. Like if you've ever tried to train a dog, sit, and then you give it a treat, it learns really fast through positive reinforcement. But if it sits or if it stands and you like hit the dog, right? The dog does not learn through negative reinforcement. And that's why shame and guilt does not work. If you negative reinforce, most of us don't know why and the brain cannot operation, like cannot logic its way into, well, why am I punishing myself for something I don't understand, right? This is what we do to kids because they don't have logic turned on yet. So it's like, that was wrong. That was bad. And they're like, for fucking what? What did I do, right? And they always ask why questions. They're genuinely building a complete block of reality in their brain with these invisible rules that we all adhere to. Like my daughter the other day, she goes, we stop at red. Why don't we stop at green? And I was like, at some point in time, we all agreed that green means go and red means stop. And she goes, well, that's interesting. And yellow means go faster. And they're like, well, it's not exactly how most people drive baby, but it definitely can be. But it's interesting to see how some of those rules get imparted to us at a younger age. So how those rules get imparted to us at a younger age breaks into attachment theory and how we create attachment styles, not only to rules, but relationships and how those operational relationships manifest in close, intimate relationships, friends, colleagues, all of those different attachment styles. But at the breakdown of a lot of it, intrinsic celebration, positive reward systems, after you do something hard, your brain is always asking, is this juice worth the squeeze? Truly, it is always asking those things. I am not here to deny whatsoever. There are some people in our society that have a stronger uphill battle than others, for sure, which means that you owe it to yourself in the due diligence of how you got here, whether it was ancestral, whether it was your choices and society's impartment of those choices and saying that that's wrong or that's confusing, whatever the heck it is. For me, because I am sometimes combative, I say, oh, you think that I'm not going to do it? You know what? Fuck you. I'm going to be the most disciplined, self-loving person that you've ever seen on the face of this earth. And I'm going to love myself into understanding why I deserve to be here. And by doing that, like self-love and self-forgiveness and understanding and critical thinking, those can be areas of self-love that close that habit loop inside of the brain. And if you do it once, your brain goes, oh, I think we could probably do this. And then tomorrow it's like, oh, we, yeah, I've already done this one time, right? And then a week goes by and it's like, oh, I've done this a couple of times. And then time and time again, it starts to go by. And what you start to create is like this intellectual blindness where you've done it enough times that it just becomes a part of your daily life. Oh, I love this so much. I always love uh, when I hear a science reason for something that I came to from a like completely squishy emotional place. Uh, and I have a program called Body Love Lab, and I teach off of a book that I wrote slash am finishing called The Six Pillars of Body Love. And the premise of body love work in my world is, uh, is that basically I think that most people think that love is a feeling that results in actions 
as opposed to that actions and behaviors result in the emotion. And so when a lot of people talk about self-love, they're like, well, if I loved myself, I would X, Y, Z. I would treat myself better. I would take better care of my body. I would talk to myself with more kindness. I would, you know, move better. I would drink more water. And they're thinking that they can, again, think themselves into a different type of way of treating themselves. And just starting with a very basic, let's think about this like a relationship with another person. Would you have lovey-dovey romantic emotional feelings for someone who acted like you were you were a chore, cussed you out every time they saw you, neglected you, never did anything nice for you, weren't thoughtful, actively went out of their way to deny you the things that you wanted? We don't feel very lovey-dovey toward those people. And yet mm. we expect that we can like shame, blame, berate, hurt ourselves into a feeling that we love ourselves that will then change our behavior. So the whole premise of the work I do with Body Love Lab is like, let's just start by acting as if your relationship with your body is the most fulfilling, most romantic, most securely attached, most delicious, most enjoyable relationship you have. And then observe what are the feelings and thoughts that arise as a result of treating myself this way? And how does that change how I see myself over time? Like we can just skip all of the, how did I get this way and go straight into like, how would you treat yourself if you loved yourself? How would love act? How would love respond to that question? Unconditional. Yeah. Like one of the things, and I like always get backlash on it and I, it's totally fine. And it's so understandable. I wish people, people had massive egos. I really do. I wish people had massive egos because it's so much easier to tame an ego than rebuild an identity. Mm, Say it again. It is. Oh my gosh. And so many people are not willing to sit with themselves in the quiet and understand and feel the feelings. And instead, like, I so wish that they would just wake up and go like, yo, I'm a badass human being and I'm going to go do badass human being stuff. And like being able to embody that character, whoever that is, or however that shows up, obviously I'm a masculine human being. So I have like a tinge of masculinity that comes into these things. But if you wake up and you're like, you know what? My best self, I imagine in 10 years would be doing the following things. I'm going to wake up. Like my girlfriend does this like in the most extraordinary way, right? She wakes up and she like self cares in like this amazing, profound way that allows her to embody who she is and be this just goddess. And I just worship the ground that she walks on. Like I treat her the way that she treats herself, but her wake up routine versus mine is way different. My wake up routine is like, you know what? I'm going to go in the garage. I'm going to go lift heavy things. And then I'm going to meditate. And then I'm going to journal. I'm going to go drink some water. And I'm going to check in with her. I'm going to make sure that breakfast is ready for the fam. Like all of these different things. But like how you love yourself is like a fractal of how you see yourself and your self-worth, right? So the more that you can learn to love, the clearer that mirror becomes and the deeper into that fractal you can take yourself. But Wait, so- I need to hear what her morning routine is. I heard yours. I want, I want the compare and contrast. What's her morning practice like? Oh, it's not my story to tell. I'll have her come on the show one of these <laughs> days and go do it. But she, she does this insanely intentional time together where she makes sure that she's clearing her mind, her soul, her body, like, I'm so science and she is so like this embodied sense of energy and like feminine. And it's like, it's such a fun contrast because I'm like, I'm going to go lift heavy shit at the gym. And she goes, awesome. I'm going to love myself out of nature. And like, I'm going to do flowers and things. I'm like, get it. So she did all of this amazing stuff for herself. And like, I can see as she goes through the day, like how she just like continues to bloom and how she just continues to like show up. And I just like, 
look at her and I'm look at that. Like it, it is extraordinary to watch every single day. And it gives me a higher level of permission to love myself. Cause like, I've never seen some of that contrast before, like self-care for our moms and dads, like where we model relationships from. I was like, well, I, I have no idea. I like, my mom got ready in the morning for life, but like, I've never seen somebody like literally self-care and love themselves and like do their hair and like not do it for anyone else. Doesn't give a fuck what anybody else thinks just doing it because she loves herself. And it's like, that is awesome sauce. I love that. And my daughter does the same thing in the morning. She does her own little routine that gets her ready because she wakes up in the morning, comes out, sees me reading, lifting weights, journaling, or like cooking every single time. I'm not like scrolly, scrolly on my phone. I'm like listening to a book, reading, journaling, or like moving my body in healthy ways. And she comes out and she goes, okay, time for my stuff. And she wants to color in the morning. She wants to be in her fuzzy little robe. She wants all of her unicorns lined up. Like it's, it's so interesting how kids like, will never fail to not listen, but also never fail to not emulate the parents and the environments that they're in. Oh, I love all of this so much. And this example about thinking about our parents' relationship to self-care, I think is really critical. Um, and it's something I, I definitely had to sit down with. And it's something I walk through with my clients a lot. And especially for women, people socialized as girls, like sitting down and thinking about what you witnessed your female caretakers um behaviors being around care and for me i um i had clear examples um from my dad growing up that were that were very negative right that were like rage based or alcohol fueled or absent right so those were really glaring examples but i hadn't really ever sat down and thought about some of the impact that watching my mom had on me until I would say I was in my late 20s, early 30s, and I was not well, and I wasn't taking good care of myself, and I had tried lots of things, right? I had learned lots of things. I was already, like, I had been a personal trainer and a healthy lifestyles coach. I was a Pilates teacher, a yoga instructor. Like, I've learned all of these great yeah. things. But the way that I treated myself and took care of myself did not match my intellectual understanding or even some of my practices that I felt like I put on like a coat, but they weren't me. And when I sat down and thought about it, first of all, my mother, bless her heart, um, is a workaholic, an actual workaholic. I have a real workaholism in my family. And uh, that's a, a weird addiction. Uh, work is a weird addiction in this culture because people are like, oh, my God, I wish I had your discipline. And I'm like, no, this yeah, is an yeah. actual addiction as in this is how you avoid yourself and other humans. Um, like you have no relationships outside of this. This is your your drug. But realizing, like I sat down and made a list of what I saw my parents prioritize and where they, like their bodies, their emotions, and their well-being came on that list and realizing that it was, it was last. Like it was very much last after, you know, work that pays money, um, taking care of the house, friends, kids, and then like maybe 
like their body and then themselves and then like their creative projects were like absolutely last and being like oh well that's why this is what was modeled like it doesn't matter what was said this was what I watched and it's what I still witness when I'm looking at how this person lives their life and then the question becomes like is this who I want to emulate does this person seem happy (laughs) like if I'm not gonna do that where do I think I should be on my list of priorities for the day and what would my day be like if I actually prioritized myself in that way, which is so countercultural. So yeah, so many of the things and like that's, I had this like strong realization when my dad died and suddenly I was going to be a dad. I was like, I'm not doing that. I love my dad. He did his best. He worked what a standard man would do, but like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to do what feels right to me. I've never liked working. I've never liked being forced to go do something. So entrepreneur path made a lot of sense for me. But then it was like, well, what are you good at? And I was like, well, everybody says that I'm like super full of bullshit and I can just talk all day. And I'm like, well, can I talk about meaningful things that are going to actually make an impact? Like it was kind of like a joke, but then it was like, oh, it's not really a joke. I can actually like take complex ideas and break them down. And especially in business strategy and especially in science, I'm just talented at those things. And like, this is not ego, this is just awareness, right? And I think this is where so many people get tripped up is they don't claim the God-given talents that they have. It's like, no, 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 the universe said, be good at this, I got this for you, be a badass at making flower pots or whatever the heck it is, and let that thing kill you. And it's like, well, yeah, I just wanna be humble. Be confident, lean into that because the more you have confidence, the more that gives other people permission to do that as well. And if there's one thing that we all need is just inspiration and permission to do the things we love. Like talk about a form of self-care and self-love. Like what if you just did the thing that moved humanity's needle happiness further along the way? Even if it was cutting grass, frying chicken, like talking on a podcast, whatever it is, like do the thing. And if you're not sure what it is, don't overthink about not doing it and regret having not done it three years earlier. Do it now. And if you don't like it, good news, try, try again. I love this. And I think another thing that's really important about that, the thing of like recognizing what are the things that you are naturally good at and where your gifts are, and then going in that direction that I think stumps people is like, A very sneaky flip side of the concept that money comes from hard work is that that must mean that easy things are not monetizable or like not worth, people won't pay you for them. I encounter that so much when I like work with people, they're like, wait, but you mean I could just do that and make money? And it really comes up. We don't think that when we're trying to, it may be even well-meaning to train people into being quote unquote hard workers. But if we believe that money only comes from hard work, what position does that put us in when we're starting to think about building a career from the things that come naturally to us? I meet so many people who feel like they should just give their gifts away because it comes easy to them. And it's like, no, no, no. Just because that's easy for you doesn't mean it's easy for everyone. It's easy for you because it's yours to do. Yeah, you have to value your time, right? And I think like we we so devalue ourselves in order to like appease like the help that we want other people to have. But like the the example that I give a lot of people is like, which one of like these random cars behind random doors would you rather pick? If you got to pick one for free, but you know the value of them. One of them is a $15,000 car. And the other one is a $100,000 car. Which one in a race do you think is going to win? right? And it's like, well, yeah, probably the $100,000 one. Well, it's, yeah, the value that comes along with that. 
and like the skill set that you develop and like your talents at it, like you should be able to scale those things up to match your skill set. Right. And like, this is like the crime of like minimum wage and like the frustration that comes behind it is like, you're getting paid minimal skill. So if you have more skill, don't get a minimum wage job unless like, and I totally understand you got to put food on the table. Like I've been broke. I've been eating sardines and black beans. I've been there. And at the same time, start to build these things up because if not, it will catch you and it will hold you down. So that minimum wage job will turn into like a, oh yeah, $20 per hour manager job, which will turn into, well, I don't really want to leave now because I'm going to get like a $30 raise in the next call. And then it's like, well, now I've got all this and you start to build up how good you are at your mediocrity. And then that's a dangerous game because you're like, I'm so, I put in 10 years of mediocrity. Like, why would I ever give this up? And it's like, it's suffocating your purpose, right? It's suffocating it so much that it's like dead on the floor now. So when people even talk about the things that you were good at, it's like no longer even advantageous. It just holds them back. Yeah. And then you're into like some cost fallacy and trapped. Uh, Be worth money. Be want expensive things. Like not from a space of like to consume, but in a space of like worthiness to like deserve. Like if you could leave this planet and leave your children in a space with so much money that all they could do was create art and do the things that they love, like how much better is that going to be for humanity versus like breeding the next generation of people to go into the wheel, like the wheel, the wheel, the machine, like to be yeah. another car. If you see me looking to the side, ma'am, it's because the cats are being insane. And this is one of the downsides to doing this podcast on video is that one of my cats, A, is nutter butters, but B, is very into the camera and is not interested in me all day until the camera's on. And then she wants to show off. And so if I keep doing that, I'm trying to just stop her from making insane amounts of noise. And like, she's a featured guest on this show every episode. My cat is a featured guest on like literally every video on social media. I love it. So one of the things that we said we were going to talk about when we started this odyssey, and I know we're like basically at time, but I would love to get like, if we can do fast tips then, um, we were talking about the fact that right now, as we're recording this, we are uh, going through yet again, another unprecedented global catastrophic event, which it feels like for a lot of us in our peer group has been nonstop our entire lives, starting with September 11th. It's just been nonstop catastrophic world-changing events and recessions and booms and busts and wars and social movements and pandemics. And there's kind of no end in sight to that right now. And a lot of the people I work with, and I'm sure yours too, especially sensitive, caring, tapped in people who feel very connected to humanity and want to make the world a better place, find themselves in a challenging position of A, being exposed to a 24-hour onslaught of news at a level that we've never been exposed to before, and B, trying to figure out how to navigate running a business, doing your sacred work, showing up for your clients, showing up for your family, continuing to do what you need to do to make the machine of your life keep running forward while also trying to reckon with huge, large-scale events that A, are traumatic, and B, make us can make us feel really helpless. 
and that that's really, it's hard on the brain, it's hard on the body. And so I was wondering if you had advice, strategies, tips for people on how to take care of themselves and their brains during times like this so that they can keep doing the things that they need to do to move forward. Yeah, the biggest thing is you have to turn it off, right? And I'm not saying don't pretend like it doesn't exist, but you have to play your role in being a solution, not an addition to the problem, right? So like when when all of these challenges start to break down, you have to look at, all right, what is the problem that humanity is trying to work out through this problem, right? Think about it as if it's like a giant family and it's arguing, right? What is the problem? Is it lack of love? Is it lack of whatever the heck it is? And then be the solution to that problem, right? Like when I think we have like these wars and breakouts and whatever the heck it is, with like all the love in my heart, I don't give a second's attention to it because my capacity to make an impact on it is so minute. But the impact I can make is to continue to make stress management content so that the people that are suffering through that are getting the highest version of me showing up at the highest frequency, at the highest vibe, so that they can have a smile on their face, do some self-regulation strategies. And it's not that I'm trying to take away from the realness of what is going on over there, but they don't need that version of me. They need the version of me that's going to show up, be strong, be brave, right? So despite circumstances, you have to choose what you engage with. So like the conversation for empaths that are out there, empath is not a curse. If you think the universe gave you that gift as something that is bad, it is not whatsoever. So you have to reframe that this is something that's bad and I constantly feel all of these different things. I do not subscribe to that whatsoever. If you're a feeler out into the world, it's because you are gifted with the capacity to deal with it. Can it be overwhelming? Yes, for sure. My neurodivergence that are out there, you have two max sensory perceptions that create overstimulation for you. You need to do the due diligence to find what the primary and the secondary are, and then learn how to self-regulate those things. If you are visual, social media is not your friend. Books are your friend. If you're also visual, you should turn your screen to black and white or a shade of red to soothe the nervous system. And the vertical scrolling, by the way, stimulates different areas of your nervous system to perpetuate the stress. So you have to clear out your inbox. You have to clean out how you ingest information and like, I don't say this without any sense of like acknowledgement to what is real in the world, but the best thing that you can do is continue on. Like there's a, a quote by like Morgan Freeman and he's being interviewed and like, and, and it's like stuck with me for years. Somebody asked him like this really profound question and at the end of it. It's basically like, how do we get rid of racism? And he says, stop talking about it. And he just stops there. Like it's a self-perpetuating problem the more you bring awareness and problem to the problem. You have to bring water to the fire in order to extinguish. And the more that we talk about and enhance these problems over and over again, the more we add and con contribute to like the collective consciousness of that issue. So if all we talk about is all the war that's going on and we don't talk about Chicago had the lowest crime rate on the face of this earth this year, we had the lowest murder rates in the United States that we have ever seen ever, we have had the clearest sense of like CDC numbers for the flu, for COVID, for all of these different things that we have ever seen. And we're so focused on the negative. Well, no wonder that's all we kind of go out and see.
I surround myself with the things that are meaningful in my life, the literature, the publications, and even the news articles that I do pay attention to, they're all focused in the beneficial. They're all focused on the things that are actually making progress because awareness of the problem has nothing to do with the solution that will actually make a change in this planet. So with like the utmost love in my heart for the challenges that other people are facing, they don't need me to bring awareness of that problem. The media is taking care of that and I don't want to contribute to it. What I can do though is continue to show up as the best version of me. I can acknowledge, I can pray, you can support it spiritually, energetically, whatever feels best to you. But I want to show up in my positive self to give them an aspect of me that maybe they don't see on the streets, especially in the war-torn areas. Hmm. I think that's beautiful. I think that there's something really important here that it it seems like a duh, but I'm just going to double click on it. Social media is designed, everybody, if you're listening, it is designed to elicit a sense of FOMO in you and to hype you up about not consuming enough and like not being in the know and not seeing every perspective. And like they, it is designed in a way that interacts with our brain in a way that's about like, consume more, open it again, look again, look at everybody's everything, make sure you're in the conversation. What's the conversation? You don't want to be left out of the conversation. And this thing about like limiting how many accounts you follow or the ways that you engage with these apps. First of all, I want to say it's hard because it's designed to be hard. I don't know if you've watched um, The Social Dilemma. It's really great. If you haven't watched it, I highly recommend it. It's a documentary where they have the creators of some of these apps who are like, no, we know it's addictive. We're designing it to be addictive. We're using neuroscience to design these things to interact with your brain in a certain way. Like they are designed to be addictive. And so when I say like limiting, limiting how much you're engaging, limiting how much time you're spending on the app, limiting the doom scrolling, first of all, literally limiting it by unfollowing a lot of accounts and being very selective about like where you're going to get your news from and like maybe narrow it down to three to a few news outlets and be like, these are the only news outlets I'm paying attention. Like you don't need to be tapped into everybody's opinion. I would follow, I would go and I would start going back on blogs and RSS feeds. Like if social media gives you that much anxiety and you're not using it for a business, get rid of it. Like if you're like, oh, I can't connect with my family. No, you can't, right? Like clear it out, do an experiment. Like I got rid of social media for like two weeks, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, what an awesome two weeks was that? right? The low stimulation, I was only reading blogs and articles. That was it. And like, if your inner circle or you don't have an inner circle, you should do the due diligence to get one. So like my inner circle is made up of six people who are men and women of really high impact. And we have a collective understanding that we're going to be badass together. So when we have these conversations together, we're always like, what do we recognize? Right? And everybody gets to bring a different perspective into that puzzle And that different perspective allows us different perception. When your perception, which is personal, becomes perception, you're screwed, right? So that introvert, inner knowing view, when it becomes like that extroverted, this is how everybody else must think, you've completely lost empathy. And social media did its job that it attached you onto an outcome and it said, you're never going to know enough. Use it as a teacher. Go in there with a singular question or just get off of the doom scroll ones and move over to YouTube. Like for so many people, 
and I have no affiliation with this company, there's an app called Opal. And I have it on my phone. I tell all of my clients that they have to have it on their phone. And it'll allow you to put up these app blockers. And the app blocker is an asshole. It doesn't let you uninstall the app without like donations. And it doesn't let you do all of these different things. If you're that serious about it, you have to have a 10 out of 10 willingness. Because if you don't, then it's just going to continue to consume your life. And it really breaks down to like, how willing are you to be uncomfortable in the silence of your own mind? How willing are you to like change and exchange a lot of these different things? So like in our house, I wanted a low stimulation house, despite me doing social media. I don't have a TV in my living room. My daughter doesn't have an iPad. She doesn't have a phone. We do Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday, we get the TV out of the garage, which is a hassle. And we watch one movie or one show, and then we hassle it back into the garage. Because that's the level, that's like the home that I want. But I have a speaker over there that plays music all the time. And she knows how to run the music, right? So like, those are healthy things. And we dance all the live long day. We have books. I've got fidgets. I've got toys. I've got all of these small things that are meant to be engaging with her imagination. And that's exactly how we have it set up. She doesn't know what's going on in the news. And for the most part, neither do I, because I still just want to be a part of the stress management solution. That's really beautiful. And I I think it echoes some of what I've shared with some people recently who have asked me some questions about how I'm engaging with it. And I'm like, you know, I'm where I'm not engaging with it really is on social media for the most part, mostly because as somebody in a healing and helping profession, my main job is to be able to show up for my clients and be a container for what they're processing and what they're going through. And in order for me to do that, and I think this is true for everyone in healing and helping professions, the idea that you can be at peak performance in your profession when you are not taking care of yourself and when you're not well and when you're not managing your own nervous system load is not true. And I want to also say like, there's a lot of folks out there who like, I encounter people a lot where I'm like, for you to have been as successful as you've been this stressed out and under-resourced, just imagine what you're going to be able to do when you're actually taking care of yourself and you're well-rested and you're, you're feeling good. Like you have done this well, in spite of not being well, you will be so much more efficient, so much more effective, so much more impactful when you are well. And I think that if you want to be in a healing and helping profession, your wellness has to be your number one priority because that is your ability to do your job depends on it. Self-care, values, and identity. If you don't have those things, you, and I say this with the utmost love, the coaching service healing industry will compassion fatigue you down to sub-zero levels, right? Because you won't be able to put up healthy boundaries and hold space for people. You will hold the person instead of the space, right? You'll try to do their suffering for them, and you're just not doing any helpful hints for them at that point. And this is why, like, when I do my groups, when I do, like, my consulting, I'm like, there's a really good chance that we're going to two to three to four X your business just doing self-care. Truly like that, that is like the essential breakdown of that. Cause if your startup business did their first $8 million or first eight figure year hit $10 million and you're all burnt out and exhausted, imagine what's going to occur when you're all regulated, well-rested, well-slept. Like, can you imagine they're like, no. And then it's like, well, let's get you off stimulants, right? Like y'all are like doing crazy stuff over here. Take a 10 week break, hit the reset and let's come back. And like consistently, they're like, I got my first eight hours of sleep since I was like 16 and I feel insane. 
Like I had these creative ideas, like, let me tell it to you. And I'm like, awesome. My work here is done, right? Like if you can self-regulate the solutions to the challenges you think are impossible, suddenly have an outlet. They suddenly have the brain space and the bandwidth to be resolved within the three pounds of meatloaf in your brain. I know we're at time. I feel like I could talk to you all day and ask you a million questions. So I'm going to wrap it with one last one. Uh, the three most important things that everyone should be doing every day. Sleep, exercise, journaling. Easy. I have never met a single person. You will never outperform your sleep, your self-worth, or your identity, right? Those three things. You build identity through journaling and self-awareness. The discipline that comes from like daily exercise is wildly important. And I was always like a calisthenics and I played soccer and all these different things. The more that I do research in terms of longevity and brain health and like everything else, I think everybody needs to be like lifting heavy things up in the gym just for bone mineral density, especially for women. Once you get over the age of 30, doing those things will help boost estrogen, decrease aging. Like all, it just has an insane amount of benefits, right? And you can do it for 30 minutes, three times a week. And it has an insane amount of like all cause mortality goes down like 17% or something crazy. Peter Atia, by the way, is the man to go look in on some of those things. Um, and then sleep, like make the room dark, make the room cold and do not bring your phone or technology in the bed. The bed is for sleeping and naked wrestling. And that is it. The moment that you do anything else, your brain goes, oh, I don't know what this thing's for. And it gets all flabbergasted the same way that like, the dinner table is not for technology. If you come to my house and I have a giant farm table in my kitchen and you put technology anywhere near it, it goes into the safe. And the safe gets a 30 minute timer on it and you cannot get it out for 30 minutes. People don't like it, but it's like, you're here to connect with me, not text other people. You can text other people, but just not from the dining room table. I love that. Where can people find you? What do you have coming up? Is there anything you want to plug? What do you want people to know about? Everything's at Dr. Chrisley. Go check it out. We got a YouTube channel that's starting to get built out here more and more. Um, and my next cohort is starting out for burnt out coaches, entrepreneurs that want to do self-regulation and business operations. We put those two things together so that as you scale up your individual and the external world feeds you back more clients that you have systems that can manage big problems. So you have CMR set up and you have things like that. And that's called stress to success. It's a six-month immersive group program. We go through it. It's awesome. There's biofeedback included. Um, it's a really awesome group, and we're excited to get that thing launched out. And that'll go out about mid-November, we think. Love that. Thank you so much. And we'll put all of those links in the show notes. Thank you for being here with us, Dr. Chris. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Bye. That's our episode for today. Thank you as always for being here and for listening to the podcast. I know there are so many things that you could be doing with your time, so many things you could be listening to. It is an honor that you choose to be here. Connect with me on Instagram at intuitiveedgecoaching. Have a great day.